Hi, friend. Welcome to episode 48 of Sally's Performing Arts Lab podcast. The fabulous Peyton Stores of Chicago's improv theater scene joins me on this episode of Sally Pal. Pal podcast host, Sally Adams. I talk to people about creating original work for a live audience. Send an email anytime to sally at sallypal.com. Before the interview, I want to share a couple of thoughts that I've been having. I love live performance. I love live music, dance, poetry, theater, opera, you name it. But more than that, I love good storytelling. I'm drawn to storytellers, like the woman at the party who reveals an embarrassing moment for the sake of a laugh, or the older gentleman who can pull you into his childhood with some well-chosen details. My daughter Emily has two or three go-to stories. She calls her party stories. They enable her to feel less awkward in new situations, and they reveal to strangers that she is interesting. I firmly believe that every human has a story to tell. But so often I hear people say they're boring or that nothing interesting ever happens to them. My mom used to tell me if I was bored, it meant I was boring. But I think feeling boring has more to do with whether you are present in the moment. I've been working on reminding myself to pay attention to what's happening right now. Like when I'm singing at the local brewery, I can easily veer off into thinking about my lyrics or what's on tap or what song I want to do after this one that I'm singing right now. But I do best when I am immersed in the moment of the song. It frees me to interact with the people who are actually listening. The other night I got lost in thought and totally stopped the song because I forgot where I was. This doesn't generally happen, partly because I keep my lyrics handy. But the other night when I stopped, a lovely man came up and kindly reminded me of the lyric and began to tell me the story of the song I was singing. He mentioned how meaningful it was to him. Ordinarily, before an exchange like that, I would be tempted to joke with my music partner or the audience about the music or my memory, but this person was so in the moment of the song, and I was not. Rather than be upset with me for forgetting the lyrics to this special song, he helped me refocus. It was so generous. I think we have an opportunity as storytellers, whether the audience is a bunch of opera lovers at the Met or a couple of friends hearing you tell a party story. Be with the people who are listening. Listen to them as well. Being present is the ultimate compliment you can pay another creature. Past regrets and worries about the future are the enemies of the moment. Be present in your life, and I guarantee you will feel alive. There's almost nothing better than to be alive in front of an audience. You can even get a t-shirt that says exactly that, alive in front of an audience, at the Sally Pal shop. Check it out at sallypal.com slash shop. 
In the Amber Harrington Work Hard and Don't Be a Jerk episode, I mentioned that I was toying with a YouTube channel. I've used it for live town stages interviews, creator encouragement, and my own original music and covers. I've been working on a couple of different channels. Brian and Sally is a channel featuring my music partner and I rehearsing songs. And the Sally Pal channel is a mishmash right now of live performance and storytelling stuff. And in time, I hope to improve my skills and expand the offerings. But there's already content for anyone who's curious. I'll include links in the blog. I've known Peyton Stores for a while now, and I have expected for quite some time that she would make her indelible mark on the world of live comedy. Before she realized she is a comedian, Peyton studied Shakespeare, Greek tragedy, and contemporary drama. But when she was taunted by her professor at a Southwestern University for being too weird, she switched programs and found her voice in Chicago. Peyton graduated from Columbia College, Chicago, with a B.A. in comedy writing and performance. She trained at the Second City and the Annoyance Theater. Peyton recently graduated from the Annoyance Theater training program, where she's performed with the popular Splatter Theater. The subversive language and themes in the Annoyance Theater's unedited and progressive comedy has garnered hundreds of standing ovations, produced Chicago's longest-running musical, and spawned a second venue in New York City. Notable alumni from the Annoyance include cast members from Upright Citizens Brigade, Mad TV, The Office, and Saturday Night Live. Other former cast members include Jeff Garland, Amy Sedaris, Andy Richter, Jane Lynch, and Stephen Colbert, and now Peyton Stores, who, with three other performers, has formed the new comedy group Size 11 Productions. They're all-female, hairy tales, features a Snow White and the Seven Dwarves burlesque number, and a live sword fight. You can see the show every Friday night in June at Otherworld Theater Space in Chicago. Peyton is one of the most memorable comedians you'll see on stage. Her authenticity, intelligence, and her willingness to try new things make her a comedy treasure. I know Peyton as the consummate thrift store bargain hunter and the person to be with if you're hungry for adventure. She has a big heart and a little body, and she definitely thinks outside the box. Peyton is a comedy risk taker. Never one to settle for safe, reliable bits, she always seems to find humanity in the bizarre. I believe it's the secret to her success. I know you will enjoy episode 48 with comedy risk taker Peyton Stores. Be sure and listen until the end of the interview for concise advice from the interview and words of wisdom from George. Let's get started. Peyton Stores, welcome to Sally Pal. Hello. How are you? I'm good. God, it's so good to hear your voice. I miss you so much. Oh, that's so sweet. Well, I am dying to hear about your life in Chicago and what kinds of things you're doing and what was Second City like and all of that stuff. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a wild two years living here. I'm coming up on my two-year anniversary for the first year, I kind of hated it. I did not like it. I didn't want to be here. It was just really hard because when I moved here, I immediately started going five days a week, nine to five at the Second City. And as you can imagine, that is an amazing experience and enough to keep you pretty busy where you don't really have to think about anything other than, oh my God, I have like 
three sketches to write by tomorrow, and hopefully I can get it done, and one of them will at least be usable. Were you thrown into it with a group of people? Were you all in it together? Did you feel like you had some sort of, was there an in-the-trenches feel to it, like camaraderie? It was kind of funny because there were three groups in the comedy studies program, uh, and I was in group one, and we held in cohorts. So I was in cohort one. Cohort one had all of the people from out of town in it. So I think that we had um, 15 or 16 people in my group. About half or more than half were from out of town. So our group was full of people who had just, like, sent in a resume and a headshot and answered all of these questions and we were chosen from however many other people applied to be a part of the uh, comedy studies program and so we were the ones that got to go and then the rest of the people at the comedy studies program were going through Columbia College Chicago and they were comedy writing and performance majors. This was just part of the curriculum that they had to take to graduate. They also had to fill out the same application form that we had to fill out, the out-of-towners, but Mm -hmm. um, their whole thing is, like, they would just apply every year until they got in, and so mostly it was, like, the professors that they had would be, like, okay, they're ready, or they've they've taken all the prerequisites, and they're ready to go in, but for us, it was just, we had to have some experience in the world of comedy, whether it be improv or playwriting or anything of that sort. We just had to have some sort of experience. And then they just picked people who they thought they wanted to see what they had. And so they picked me, and I went. And it was crazy, you know, Um, because I am in class with however many other people, and half of them know everything already, and then half of them don't know anything, just like me. (laughs) (laughs) So the first week was kind of kind of like everyone trying to get us all on the same page and we went over like how you write a comedic script in the first place and how they're set up and how the different I don't know it was so much it was it was a lot that has got to have been so intense I will say that my first probably five scripts were trash because <laughs> um, they didn't make any sense. I didn't know the formula yet, and I wasn't really sure what my voice was. And we each week we were supposed to try something new, like a new form that we had learned that week. And so sometimes it was fish out of water. Sometimes it was an entrance and exit scene. And so, I mean, it's my first time doing any of this stuff. And some of these people, it's their tenth time. And so... You know, that you could really tell who had been doing it and who had never done it in their life. Is it just finding your voice? That's something we talk about on the show a lot. Is that really a matter of trial and error? I think so. I think it's also a matter of being in a place and being surrounded by people who are open to hearing you and are like, because I, I feel like it took me a while to find my voice. I've been, I've been in different atmospheres where it wasn't okay. I think that moving to Chicago and being part of the comedy scene here has really helped me figure out I'm allowed to say what I want, how I feel, and my feelings and, like, my point of view are all valid and really important because I'm I'm unique, you know? Yes. Well, you're pretty outspoken, too, and I, I applaud you because I think that's that's your shining part is that you speak your truth. I I feel like I went to a school before where I was gay and I was a feminist 
and yeah don't make anybody uncomfortable exactly and I, I feel like for a while it was kind of frowned upon and so I feel like I I went quiet for a little bit one of my first weeks at the first school I went to all of the other freshmen were you know using language that like isn't for you know white people and I spoke up and I, and I told them I said you know that's not for you like, you can't say those words, and I know that you think it's a joke and that you think it's funny and you've heard it before, and you think that it's just kind of like a light thing, but it's not. This is problematic. A lot of just immediate hatred for telling them that I didn't think that what they were doing was right or okay, and that kind of separated me from the pack immediately because... I wasn't just going to say things or because it was cool or because everyone else was doing it. Well, and that you weren't, yeah, you weren't going to be quiet either. No. And so immediately there was a big divide between me and my class. So that was kind of hard, but it was really nice moving to Chicago and being surrounded in like-minded people. It's great here, you know. People don't make fun of me for all of my, like, poop stories. I have IBS, and so, you know, it's funny because I've always been very open about how just, just poop humor. I, I don't know who thinks that that's funny or who doesn't think it's funny. I know it's blue humor. I don't really care because what I it's my experience. And so it's really funny because when I moved here, it was like, oh, people are laughing at me now, not just, like, rolling their eyes. At this point, my son Will came into the room. He and Peyton have been friends since sixth grade. Well, I know somebody who will appreciate that as well, and he just walked in the room. Do you want to say hi? Hi, baby. I'm so happy to hear your voice. How are you? I'm so good. <laughs> what is she asking you about? Poop humor. <laughs> in my defense, I didn't actually ask about poop humor No, that humor sounds like something Peyton would bring up. I brought it up. I brought it up. <laughs> so I'm talking about my, my, um, my, my point of view and how I found my voice. Oh, yeah, that is, I mean, you got to talk about poop humor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got diagnosed with IBS a year ago, and now it all makes sense. Oh my god, I didn't know that, but that really does all make sense. Peyton, aside from poop humor, what would you qualify as your voice since you've discovered it? Is there any way to define it? Um, I'll say I'm very much a feminist voice. I, yeah, mostly, mostly feminist. Also, very silly. I'm a very silly voice. Are you a queer voice? Oh, absolutely, super queer. But I, I guess, like, the reason why I didn't say that first off is because it's just, like, goes without saying to me in my head. That's like asking a fish what it's like to breathe water, I guess. Exactly. Do you feel freer to be who you are in Chicago? Oh, absolutely. You walk down the street and you see two dudes holding hands, two women holding hands, two people who don't have any gender holding hands, and... And nobody looks at you like you're insane if you kiss your girlfriend on the street. And, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's such a big city. So I'm not just seeing the same people all the time. I would say, and I would say I'm, I'm feeling more free as time goes on because I don't care anymore what people think when they look at me. Because what's more important to me is what I think when I look at myself. Um, that was another big thing that I had at my at the last school I was at, was that I had a professor tell me that I looked ridiculous and that every day that I would come to class, like, it was hard for anyone to take me seriously because I dressed so terribly. <laughs> it was just really funny to me because I feel like I look fresh as hell all the time. You do. Yeah, and for someone to not appreciate that was wild. And It seems a little out of touch as I'm hearing you. A theater professor who says that you look ridiculous 
it seems like they don't understand theater people who are on the cutting edge are the ones making a difference. Yes. Well, and and his whole thing was um, every day's an audition and nobody could take me seriously. And so I'm not getting cast in roles that are quote-unquote serious or anything but just like a crazy person because I don't dress like a normal person. And I was like, well, that's great then. Don't cast me as a normal person. Exactly. Um, but it's, I don't know, I think it's really great, too, because I walk I walk outside and I see just tons of different types of people and lots of people that look like me and talk like me and act like me. And that's freeing to just know that I'm not the only one who does this. I'm not the only one who's like this. And going to school at Columbia it was like, oh, so there are other people out there that are like me. They just didn't live in Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I when I am writing, it's really funny for me to just have the most mundane settings. Most people I found have just their eccentric streak. They're just all eccentric about something else, like something different. I love learning more about people through my work. the Sally Pal Shop, you can buy t-shirts, totes, coffee mugs, and stickers with vintage theater photos, paintings, and fun sayings. Proclaim, my life is my art, or identify yourself as a story warrior with great gear from the Sally Pal Shop. If you're a storyteller, and honestly, who isn't, it's what makes us human. You'll appreciate Sally Pal swag, like the new Oscar Wilde t-shirt that says, you're welcome in rainbow Broadway letters. Check it all out at sallypal.com slash shop. Go see for yourself. And now for the thrilling conclusion to the interview with Chicago comedian Peyton Stores. Tell me what you're working on right now. So I'm in a show at The Annoyance. It's called Splatter Theater. It is a parody of teen slasher films. What? I go to the Annoyance a lot because it's my favorite comedy bar in the city. Okay. And I just really admire their work because it's all really honest. And anyone that's in the comedy community in Chicago will tell you that Second City is the home of satire. Improv Olympics is the home of the Herald team. And then the Annoyance is the home of Everything Goes. And <laughs> so... I love the annoyance because you don't have to filter yourself. And I think that a lot of people like me who are a little bit more on the eccentric side like the annoyance because we don't have to filter ourselves because that's not what we're interested in doing. So basically the show has a bunch of blood. <laughs> there's so much blood. <laughs> and there's just a bunch of different characters. It's set at a house party. I'm a nosy neighbor. I come over to check out what's going on, and then I get brutally murdered, just like everyone else. How much of it is improv and how much is scripted? We came up with a concept for our scene because there it wasn't scripted. It was just the nosy neighbors come over. <laughs> so we went in the direction of Glow, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. <laughs> and, yeah, so it kind of turned into, instead of us talking or doing anything in the house or snooping or anything, we just come over, and it turns into this wrestling match between me and my partner in the scene, Dirt, and 
the killer. So it's just this big wrestling match. I have a move called the cherry bomb where I get slingshotted across the stage and I jump on top of him and I start punching him. It's it's really, it's a lot of fun. But we basically came up with our concept and then just went from there. Our part is pretty much 100% improv. So we have to do a lot of shit talking and naming our moves and stuff. And kind of like one of the central themes of the show is meat puns. Meat puns? Yes, meat puns. So there's a little commercial break at the beginning where... I operate a bunch of meat puppets, and they're just raw meat <laughs> on sticks. And, yeah, so we kind of went with that theme, and there's a lot of meat puns. That sounds like a riot, but also it sounds super weird in a wonderful way. Yeah. Have you found that audiences react really well to that? We open this Saturday. <gasps> you don't know yet. I don't know yet. Have you found your tribe there? Oh, absolutely. Are they people you would hang out with outside of rehearsal? The director is one of my friends. We just, like, started hanging out because I came to the annoyance so much, and that's how a lot of friendships are made, is in classes or just by going and seeing shows and talking to people afterwards, sitting at the bar. I don't know. It's it's really it's really a great community of people just because everyone, they yeah. want to, like, see shows and be part of the community. You're doing some really edgy stuff. Do you find that you're just sort of following whatever interest you next or do you have a plan i really don't have a plan <laughs> i've kind of enjoyed taking things at my own pace i'm not in a show every single month i'm not in a show all the time which i find to be better for me at this point in my life i just graduated in december i've moved which takes a lot of time i've switched jobs which also takes time and just like effort to get settled and I think that it's really good to be constantly working, but I have really enjoyed having time to just figure out, like, what I care about and what my life looks like without theater so that when I do get into shows and start doing things and performing, then I know where to separate myself and where to stop worrying about it. Well, do you find that you have people outside of theater that you hang out with that don't fully appreciate what you're doing or understand it? I mean, in my job, at least. There's, like, plenty sure. of people who don't really care about theater and don't understand, like, why I would ever spend my time pretending to be someone else. Pretty much all of my friends are performers. My best friend in the city, we met in a comedy class, and we've just been best friends ever since. My girlfriend and I met at the Second City when we were doing the comedy studies semester. Is she still doing theater? Yeah, she is more of a writer. She just directed or assistant directed a show that I was in called Abduction the Musical. It was a comedy. It was really fun. Now she is working on writing a sketch show. So sketch shows are kind of their bread and butter, aren't they? Over at, uh, at least at Second City, I think. Yeah, um, they do a lot of sketch reviews, but a lot of the way that they do it is they do the first few weeks they just improvise scenes and then they take, the director takes, like, the scenes that they like the best, or they take the, the scenes that they like the best, and then they are like, okay, these are some points that we want to hit in the scene, but we're going to continue to improvise it. And then they kind of just keep improvising until they get it to a point where it's, like, the best it can be, and, like, the best it can be for whatever it is that they're doing. And then that's the scene. That's the scene that they put in. Let's say you met you at age 15. What? 
what kind of advice would you give to you? I would definitely say I know that everything really sucks right now, but it's not always going to suck. And I would definitely say don't let anybody tell you what is and isn't okay or right. And just, like, try to think about how things make you feel. And if it makes you feel good, then you should do it. And if it makes you feel bad, then you shouldn't do it. You know what's good for you and what's best for you. And, you know, other people can give you what they think is best, but that's never going to 100% be what truly is best for you. you. Only you know that. Just because someone tells you that something is right doesn't mean that it's right for you. There are people who listen to this who are maybe unsure who they are in the world because they feel like they're out of step. And I think it's important that they hear that you're never too weird. You figure out, like, who makes you feel good and who doesn't. And if you're around people who don't make you feel like it's okay to be as weird as you are, then you need to find new people. That's so good. So do you see yourself anywhere in five years doing something? Do you have a dream project in your head? In five years, I would like to have a one-woman show written, and and I would love to be performing that. I would love to be a part of Tourco for Second City eventually, just because, you know, you get paid for the work that you do when you right. are a part of that. And that's always nice because in in comedy it's so hard to be to make money doing what you love and for like writing anything or it it's hard to be at a point where you make money and I feel like you kind of either have to move to New York or LA to do that unless you are on the main stage at Second City or doing Torco or something like that or teaching. How much change am I making just by being on the stage if I'm not, if people who need to hear what I'm saying aren't listening to me or watching me? And so I've thought about it, and I'm like, I love performing. I probably will never stop doing that. But also, I would love to be a teacher because I've had so many teachers that have just, like, completely changed my perception of what it is to be a person and and a performer. And I think that teaching is such important work, especially if you have, um, like, a message that you want to get across. And people people are taking classes because they want to learn. I think that that's one of, like, the best best things that you can do is to teach people. I've had one, like, one professor when I was going to school at Columbia, and she taught me at in the comedy semester as well. And her big thing was that she's been doing comedy for – ever. And she's been in Chicago doing comedy, doing improv for forever. And back when it was a boys club and she told us, ladies, like, don't ever let your scene partners make you their wife or their maid. You are so much more than that. And then she was like, and if someone says, honey, make me dinner, then you say to him, get out of my office. I'm the president. Like, <laughs> Make your own dinner, and I just think that that's so liberating to hear, like, a woman say, yeah, forever, men have been trying to make me their wife or their maid, and I'm tired of it, and I'm going to be who I want to be, and so I'm going to take control of the scene, and I'm going to make myself who I want to be in that scene. I'm not going to let anyone tell me that I'm their wife or their maid. That's great advice. Yeah, and so that just, like, completely changed my perception of everything, and I think, you know, having that class and having her say that to me and, like, saying to the dudes in the class, and dudes, 
she's not your wife or your maid. She's a person. She's a human. Treat her like you would treat a dude. Treat her like you would treat anyone. And that really stuck out to me. I, yeah, I've just, like, experienced the whole, like, you're a woman, so you aren't as much of a person as me, a man. (laughs) But you need those examples, because otherwise you see examples that pigeonholing, that starts to look like the truth, when in fact it's not even a small, small percentage of the truth. No, not at all. And I think that was, like, one of the biggest things for me to realize how much just entertainment in general is made for men and made for men to recognize themselves in entertainment and for them to, like, feel comfortable. And so I guess one of my biggest goals with my work is to make it, like, for women. You will be doing groundbreaking work, my friend. (laughs) Right? It's also really funny because in all of my comedy classes, dudes always just want to talk about their penises. And I don't know how many times... I have to say, I don't care about your penis. Nobody cares about your penis as much as you do. Can we talk about my vagina for a minute? Right? Exactly. <laughs> that is my, that's my whole entire soapbox in yep. a few words. Can we talk about my vagina for one minute, please? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I know. And it's so funny, too, because I feel, I find myself telling men all the time, like, I'm so bored with everything you're saying. I've heard it before ten times over. I have a lot of white male friends who are straight that will be like, oh, man, it's such like a hard environment for white men right now. Like, I feel like I can't do or say anything right. And it's like, then why don't you stop talking and let someone else talk, and then maybe you won't be saying anything wrong at all because you won't be speaking. Ooh, that's really good. And why don't you not only stop talking, But take a second to listen. So that would be the advice you would give to maybe the boys in your high school? Yeah. (laughs) That's actually not bad advice. Oh, Peyton, I have loved talking to you, sweetheart. It makes my heart feel real happy. It makes my heart feel happy as well. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on Sally Pal. Thank you for having me. It's time now for Concise Advice from the interview. I have five bits of advice from comedy weirdo Peyton Stores. Number five, figure out what you care about. Number four, if it makes you feel good, you should do it. If it makes you feel bad, you shouldn't do it. Only you know what's best for you. Number three, if you're around people who don't make you feel like it's okay to be as weird as you are, then you need to find new people. Number two, just because someone tells you something is right doesn't mean that it's right for you. And the number one piece of advice from Size 11's patent stores is for whiny straight males. Then why don't you stop talking and let someone else talk, and then maybe you won't be saying anything wrong at all because you won't be speaking. And why don't you not only stop talking, but take a second to listen. That's it for concise advice from the interview. Check out the blog, sallypal.com, for articles and podcast episodes. Thank you for following sharing, subscribing, reviewing, joining, 
and thank you for listening. Now, I have one bit of wisdom from my husband, George, the coolest guy on the planet. George, what's your wisdom for today? Don't be afraid to be as weird as you are. Your tribe will find you. Well said, George. Well said. Excellent advice indeed. If you are downloading and listening on your drive to work or podcast binging like my sister does, let me know you're out there. Shared storytelling is the most important thing we do as a culture. That's why I encourage you to share your stories because you're the only one with your particular point of view. And Sally Pal is here with resources, encouragement, and now t-shirts, totes, coffee mugs, and stickers. All the swag anyone might need for their rehearsal bag. All the stories ever expressed once lived only in someone's imagination. Now, start listening. Subscribing, reviewing, joining. Mm -hmm. I like the sound of this new studio setup. (sighs) But I'm going to leave that off. Will's allowed to talk. I like what he has to say most of the time. He says he's gay.